to be here. Love being here on Sunday mornings. This is a, a special Sunday morning actually because it's gone fishing day. Did you know that? Yeah. 16th of October is gone fishing day right around Australia. Well, I'm not fishing, but guess what? I'm wearing a fishing shirt. This is a special fishing shirt made out of a special fabric that breathes so you can sit in the boat all day long and haul in lots of fish. So there you go. Gone fishing day. Actually, I love that photo. Hey, does that kid have any cares in the world? I doubt it. The only care he might have would be if he got a big one on that pulled him in. <laughs> anyway, as Dave mentioned, I'm actually going to talk about an equation today, if you like, a mathematical formula. The E plus R equals O equation. And um, I, I was out at a business seminar on Thursday night run by uh, an organisation which is called Open for Business and it's headed up by Pastor um, Suzette Torty. Uh, she runs a church down at the southern end of the, the Gold Coast. She runs Open for Business as a, her main ministry. She's got a real heart for people in business. And she also hosts Kingdom Investors Gold Coast, which is headed up by Dave Hodgson, who's a businessman based on the Sunshine Coast. And he's now got Kingdom Investors groups meeting in many, many different countries in the world. Hugely influential because he's raising up business people who know, one, how to make a profit, and then how to use that profit to advance God's kingdom on earth. And I just love the work that Suzette's doing. But anyway, she ran a seminar last Thursday night and this was the equation she actually based the seminar on. And I thought, wow, this is a great idea for me on Sunday because this simple equation simply says when there's an event, big surprise in your life, big boom moment, you choose how to respond and that produces an outcome. And of course, the outcome we really want in our lives from all of the decisions we make is that we sit like happy little frogs on a lily pad, mm-hmm. right? That, that lovely, peaceful, fulfilled sense that we have. But of course, if our response is the wrong response, we won't actually end up as a happy little frog on a lily pad. And so, what I want to share with you today is just a few examples from the Bible about the way in which people responded when they had their boom moment, when God spoke to them. And actually, over the last few days, I've been thinking of dozens and dozens of examples. I only want to take three, four actually, um, three examples of people who probably responded in the wrong way, and history has shown that they made a mistake, I also want to talk a little bit about Jesus who responded in the right way to his boom moment. Just as an encouragement that we can all choose our response whatever the event in our life or whatever the stimulus in our life. We don't control the event most of the time. So we can't wake up in the morning and actually choose every event that is going to affect us. Because the event is so often 
related to a decision someone else has made. Or it might be what we call a, you know, a natural occurrence. It could be a cyclone or something like that. So there are many, many different events that impact our lives. We don't have a control over that. But what we do control is our response. And because we control our response, we have a major effect on the outcome. So we need to focus on what we can control, which is our response to whatever event, to whatever circumstance happens in our life. The thing we can control is the way in which we respond. And I actually think this is a hugely empowering idea. The idea that we actually have control over our response. Do you know, have you ever used the expression, you make me angry? Helen, when you do that, you make me angry. She never makes me angry, of course, because she's such a nice person. But you know what I'm saying there is, Helen, when you do that, I choose the response called anger. And then I spend the rest of my day unlike a happy little frog sitting on a lily pad. Because it's the fact that I have an emotional response called anger that might cause me to do things that I regret later on. So I might have a negative outcome. But you know what? That negative outcome actually has nothing to do with the event that Helen caused in my life. It has everything to do with the choice I made about response. And sadly in this world today, we have a world that is full of victims, absolutely full of victims. You know, I was reading the other day advice to um, CEOs, don't say sorry. These days when something goes wrong, everyone expects you to say sorry, but there's never enough. Because the next thing they want to know, well how sorry are you? What are you going to do about it? And I was actually talking to an executive the other day, and I said to him, I advise you, don't say sorry. Because you can never keep people happy that way anymore. They want to go, as soon as you say sorry, they will then want you to go further and further and further and further. It's a crazy mixed up world, isn't it? But you know what? You don't necessarily, in a world in which people know that they are empowered to respond in an appropriate way, all this sorry, sorry, sorry stuff doesn't need to happen. It's not actually making the world a better place at all. Because It just reinforces the idea that every one of us is victims. And victims believe they don't have any control over the event, nor any control over the response, and therefore they've got no control whatsoever over the outcome. And you know what? God offers us a different way of living. And um, sprinkled throughout Scripture, there are so many in the Old Testament, so many laws, In the New Testament, so many exhortations for us to respond rightly. And God knows it's because that will give us a better life. The outcomes will always be better. So what I want to do is just go through a couple of um, scriptures to illustrate some choices, some responses that people we know well from their Bible stories have made. So first, I want to invite you to read from Genesis chapter 12, and I will actually read it. I will put my glasses on so I can see the words on the page. I'm going to read this, just the first 
five verses from Genesis chapter 12. It's about Abraham. It's about Abraham being called by God. That was his boom moment. Now, Abraham didn't really know God at this time. He was living in a, really in a society that didn't know God. And uh, God chose Abraham. And uh, this is the story of how Abraham responded. Now the Lord had said to Abram, by the way he was Abram of course initially, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Um, I I like this cartoon from Jeff Larson. I've I've had some correspondence with Jeff Larson and he said I'm free to use his his cartoons. It seems to me to be a really lovely man. I'd like to meet him one day. It's always interesting to know what makes the cartoonists tick, you know. They, they see the world differently to the way we do. But this is just a little commentary on Abram. You know, God gives him his big assignment in life when he's 75 years of age. And, um, well, yeah, so much for the golden years, so much for retirement, hey. There's no such thing as retirement in the Word of God. But anyway, this is actually a bit of a trick question. What's wrong with the story? What's wrong with the story? God calls Abram, leave your family, move out of your father's house. He didn't. Yeah, who did, who, who did he take with him? He took Lot with him. Who was Lot? Lot was family. What did God say? He said, leave your family. And Abram took, Abram took Lot. And what happened eventually? What, what happened eventually with Lot? A lot of trouble, yeah, right? Abram took a lot of baggage and got into a lot of trouble, right? Remember? What happened to Lot's family? They got into a lot of trouble. What happened to them? They ended up living, where did they end up going to live? In Sodom. What happened to the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah? They got destroyed. Now, in his wonderful mercy and grace, God gave Lot a way out, but remember he said, don't look back, what happened to Lot's wife? She looked back and what did she become? Yeah, I would call that a lot of trouble. Yeah, a lot of salt. <laughs> a lot of salt. That's right, because Lot and, and Abram ended up in some conflict, remember? And so Abram said to Lot, but they stood and looked at all this land and Abram said to Lot, well, which bit do you want? Lot had a look around and took the best looking bit and then Abram went off um, elsewhere. So, you know, we might think, well, it's a great idea to, to stick to family and everything, but God was so specific. During Abram's boom moment, he said, leave your family. And of course, in those days, people lived in an, an extended family situation. So, and it's interesting to note, actually, that Abraham never saw the great nation. 
He, he actually never saw God's promise fulfilled in his own lifetime. And one must ask the question, was it because Abraham's response actually made it impossible for that promise of God to be fulfilled in his lifetime? Of course, it was fulfilled later and it is still being fulfilled in the growing church in the world. But he missed out because he made a wrong response at the very outset. Now, let's move on a little bit further in Abram's life. This is um, Genesis 15, 3 to 6, and I've actually given you a hint here as to what's wrong with this story. But if we move on to Genesis 15, verses 3 to 6, then Abram said to, this is him saying to God, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house uh, is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then if we move on, so Abram's got this promise of, from God, and then he, he looks around, well, hang on a minute, I'm old, and I've got no children, right? And And for someone to be my heir, they have to be born in my own household. In other words, they've got to be the son of my wife and myself. Well, we move on to chapter 16, and Sarai, who later became Sarah, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall ch- uh, obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. What, what, what's wrong with this story? No. He's listening to his wife and said to God, yeah, good one, Ainsley. That'll get you into a lot of trouble, I think, from now on. <laughs> See, and it's very interesting, you know, because Abram had the promise from God and the Bible says, this is before he even did this, the Bible says, and he had faith, and his faith was made to him righteousness. So, God gave him the promise, and according to the word of God, he did actually believe the promise. But then, Sarai came along to help him out a little bit. Now, you see this, this is really interesting. It was not at all unusual in that culture for a man to have sex with a maidservant in the case where a wife was barren. And of course, as you know, it was not unusual for a man to have more than one wife. But what did God say right back in Genesis? <laughs> We're going back to Genesis again. What did he say? He said, a man shall leave his mother and father and the two, how many? The two shall be one. Right? So how many people are there meant to be in a marriage? Just two people. Right back in Genesis. Now look, to be fair to Abram and Sarah, see they didn't really know God. They, they were brought up. They'd lived most of their lives of course in a pagan society. It wasn't a God-worshipping society. So I'm, I'm not being critical here. I'm just pointing out the choice of response led to an outcome. And you know what? We still experience that outcome today because the child, 
that was born of this relationship between um, Abram and Hagar was Ishmael, and Ishmael actually is the um, the forerunner of the um, of the Arabs and and of Islam. And uh, there's there's been a lot of conflict all through history between um, Israel and the Arabs, between Christianity and Islam, between um, um, the, the Hebrew faith and Islam as well. So the response that they had, that they made to the event of God's promise has actually had repercussions all through history. And we're experiencing the repercussions of that even today. That is amazing, isn't it? Now listen, God loves Abraham and Sarah. There's no doubt about that. And Abraham is listed in Hebrews 11, which is that hall of fame of people of faith. So, you know, God was able to cope with all this, but things could have been very, very different. A lot of heartache could be could have been avoided if only they hadn't responded by taking matters into their own hands and just doing what the rest of the world did. And had they actually waited for the promise of God to be manifest in their lives, then the whole of, or the most of human history could actually have been different. Do you like the little cartoon? Abraham Lincoln, known as Honest Abe, Right, he, he was he's supposed to have told his um, fessed up with his dad when he cut down a tree. Who knows whether that was actually true? But Abraham says, "Now let me get this straight. You slept with your maid servant because your wife said you should." And uh, Abraham says, "Hey, I was eighty-five, young and foolish." <laughs> That's pretty good, eh? All right. Well, let's um, stop picking on him for a bit. And uh, let's move on to Numbers 13. And this is a slightly longer um, passage, but I do want to um, read through it, if I may. Again, this is a little bit of a trick question, but we'll see if we can um, get the answer. So here we are, Moses, the children of Israel, the promised land. You know, God has promised this wonderful land for them. And uh, Moses decides... Well, the Lord actually instructs Moses to send the, the twelve spies in. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. And then it goes through the list of all the um, twelve who went uh, into the land to spy it out. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. Uh, and Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob near the entrance of Hamath. 
and they went up through the south and came to Hebron. Ahiman, Sheshai and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. Note that they cut down a branch with a cluster of grapes. You don't see grapes like that anymore. They carried it between them on a pole. Two men had to carry the bunch of grapes between them on a pole. They must have been some grapes. This was some land that God had promised Israel. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster which the men of Israel had cut down there. They returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and looked to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went, that's it, they told Moses, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong and cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of the Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. What's wrong with this story? That's pretty close to the answer, actually. Yes, that's pretty close to the answer. What did Moses ask him to do? He said, go, go into the land and see what it is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, etc., etc. They did that, but what did they add to it? An opinion. That's exactly right. Now, Joshua, uh, Caleb did, and so Caleb's opinion was, we can do it. The opinion of uh, 10 of the other 11 spies was, no, we can't. Who won the day? The 10, right? The majority ruled. But the mistake here, what was wrong with this story, was not that they went, it was not that they actually spied out the land, it was not that they carried out the instructions Moses gave them, it was that they responded by going further than their instructions. Caleb said, yep, don't care about all that stuff, we can do it. See, Joshua and Caleb are often hailed as heroes, but actually their response was the wrong response here because that response then led to the response of the ten who brought the report and then they added their opinion. And because it was ten against two, what did Israel do? They didn't go. And so they actually thwarted God's plan to bless them and of course, as we know, at the end of the day, all of the Israelites who actually came out of Egypt 
died before their descendants actually entered into the land of Canaan. Joshua and Caleb were essentially the only ones alive. The children who were born along the way, of course, they, they went in. So, you know, God wasn't playing hard to get or anything. They simply missed it because their response was the wrong They had their boom moment. Oh my goodness, can you imagine grapes that big? So big that two men had to carry them on a pole, you know? Those grape vines, they must have been something else, hey? Because they had to cut the branch off. Land of milk and honey, too right. Giants, too right. Those were the facts. But they had to have an opinion on top of it. And you know what? We need to be pretty careful about that ourselves, don't we? That our opinions don't actually persuade people to uh, move off a track that God has placed them on. Well, look, there are many, many other examples in the Bible of people who've responded uh, wrongly. And, um, you know, we, we could probably turn this into a series, but I think this is the point. People sometimes respond, and we sometimes respond in the wrong way, to an event, and we get the wrong outcome. And in fact, different people can respond to the same event, and they end up with, sorry, respond differently to the same event, and they end up with different outcomes. So, you know, without being critical of anybody, this often happens, happens following a terrorism act or a natural disaster or something like that, where some people actually end up as kind of basket cases and they need constant care. Other people are actually to rise above it because they have what we call resilience these days. And you can do resilience training and all sorts of things and there are consultants out there that will come into businesses and provide resilience training. But it's actually, what it's actually about is you getting that revelation, a, a revelation that you have the power to determine your response to an event. Let me just move on now and talk a little bit about Jesus. And um, again, you know, we could spend a lot of time on this. This is a prayer that, that Jesus prayed not long before uh, he died, recorded in Luke. Luke chapter 22 verse 42. He's in, in the garden and is obviously under a lot, of, a lot of stress because he knows well what's coming next and this is what he prays. He prays to God saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And this is one of the most famous prayers in the Bible and it's often referred to as a prayer of consecration or a prayer of dedication because Jesus actually knew what his life was all about he knew that but obviously being fully human he anticipated the pain that he would feel and of course being God he must have anticipated the pain he would experience when God actually turned his back on him because Father, Son and Holy Ghost. So in a sense the rest of the Godhead turned their back on Jesus. So the, the, the pain that he was anticipating 
I I just don't think any of us could ever comprehend it. Totally impossible for the human mind to comprehend what Jesus was going through at that time. And so he prayed, if it be your will, take this cup from me, but don't worry about all that, Lord. At the end of the day, I want to do your will. And I think it's a good response for us to have often, Lord, I'm actually consecrated to you. I'm set apart to you, and it is your will that I want to do. So my response to every event is always going to be to ask the question, where does God's will fit in here? So if I get sick, I know from the word of God that his will is that I'm healed. I stand on his word that says, by his stripes I'm healed. And I've had friends who have been very, very ill and I've stood on that word and I've stood on that word and I don't even care if they die, I stand on that word. And I can remember years ago a friend of ours had pancreatic cancer, yes it was cancer of the pancreas. And everyone was expecting him to die, he was in the hospice and Jeanette and I, we, we just stood on the word, said he's coming home, he's coming home and I remember used to mow his lawn every now and then. I was mowing his lawn there one day and I just had this absolute sense, Barry's coming home, Barry's coming home and Barry came home. Now sadly, he didn't live much longer after that. He lived another six weeks or so. But I can remember people standing around his bed praying, Lord, please take him. And I'm just standing there thinking, wow, I mean, what kind of faith is that? So, you know, the word of God tells me it is God's will that I am healed and we stand on that word and we stand on that word. It is God's will that we form families and we stand on that word. We stand on that word. Every now and then it isn't clear from God's word exactly what God's will is and that's what this prayer of Jesus was, 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 was about. It was really, I mean he knew that it was God's will for him to die. He knew that certainly from probably being a teenager or even a preteen, so he would have had that, he had that sense that he was here to do God's will. That wasn't a prayer saying, well, oh God, if, you know, if maybe you, you want me to die, maybe you don't. It, it was actually saying, I'm consecrated or I'm dedicated to doing your will. And we can actually find out what is God's will by reading his word. That's why I keep saying over and over and over again how important it is for us to take personal responsibility to be in the Word of God. It's not good enough Sunday by Sunday just to listen to somebody like myself or Dave or or one of the others of us or or the videos we have on Wednesday nights. You really need to take that Word and to be in that Word so that those promises become something that means something to you personally. See, we, we know the outcome of what Jesus did. We, we know the outcome of him responding to God's will in the right way. That outcome is that we have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his glorious light. Through his death on the cross, God now sees us as saints, not as sinners. We have the righteousness of God in Christ. That's our status. All of these things were achieved by Jesus because he actually responded in the right way to God's will in his life. So folks, 
All of us experience events of many, many different kinds in our lives. Even today, we will have opportunities to respond in a right or a wrong or in a wise or in an unwise way to some event that happens. The most important thing for us, I think, to realise from the little vignettes that we've been through today out of the Word of God is that we do have the power to make choices. We don't control the events. We don't control the boom moments, but we do control how we respond and our response is one of the most important factors determining the outcome. You know, when I talk to people about this, sometimes, often it's actually people who are suffering from anxiety or or depression and you know I talk to them and say well the next time you get one of those um, stimulus points or the next time something happens that normally triggers you to have this this response just stop and say to yourself I can choose how I respond now I know about this because I used to be probably the most depressed person on the planet and one of the things I learned that I believe, you know, God revealed to me many years ago when I had my last bout of really serious depression was that a little stimulus, if something goes wrong and I would tell myself, well, that's just my life. Everything always goes wrong for me. Everything will always go wrong for me. And so I had a pretty unhappy life. I I wasn't like that happy little frog on the lily pad. But then I came to this revelation that actually when something goes wrong, I can choose to respond differently and think, well, actually, you know what? This isn't the pattern in my life. This isn't the future in my life. And actually, it doesn't matter all that much. And, you know, if it's a, if it's a $500 repair bill on a, my car or something, I, instead of saying, oh, woe is me, things always go wrong for me, $500, I say, I praise you, Lord, that I can pay that bill and I pray that somehow the money I paid on that bill will find its way into the body of Christ as someone's tithe. That's, that's a different way of looking at it. And I can attest how different the outcomes have been in my life because I understand, I had that revelation that I have the power to choose how I respond. Of course, I don't always respond in the right way. I do get cranky and thump tables sometimes and I do get down in the dumps sometimes. But I always, you know, pull myself up because I know how empowered I am and I'm especially empowered because I am a son of the one true living God. I'm a brother of Jesus Christ. So as Ainsley often says, we know what's going to happen in the end because we've read the back of the book. You know, we can't lose in the end. Satan can't in the end win the day in our lives. So folks, let's join together now and have a little bit of um, community. I like this little cartoon, the um, the orchestra. We all play different instruments and actually some of us don't play any instruments very well at all, but we all keep our eyes on the conductor. So we're all different, but let's join in and have some community time together. <laughs>